Each year, Major League Baseball honors the late, great Jackie Robinson, number 42. Born in 1919, Robinson famously broke the so-called color barrier that kept African-American athletes from participating in mainstream professional baseball and regulated to the Negro League teams on April 15, 1947. Robinson's life was celebrated in two different movies, one in which Jackie played himself and another in which the late Chadwick Boseman dramatized Jackie's life to a new generation of sports fans. Robinson's story is a testament to the grace under pressure, an example of what it means to be a person of character and integrity. In fact, you don't need to know much about baseball to know the impact Jackie Robinson had on baseball, racial equality in the United States, and American popular culture. Even if you don't know baseball or sports in general, you learn about Jackie Robinson. You know Jackie Robinson. But do you know Charlie Sifford or Theodore Ted Rhodes? If not, you should. Without Rhodes or Sifford, there would be no Tiger Woods. This week, walk with me on the well-manicured fairway of history and the current role of golf among African Americans. Also, learn about the upcoming second annual African American Golf Expo and Forum scheduled for August 27th through the 31st in Charlotte, North Carolina. You'll hear from me and our special guest, Jim Beatty, executive editor of the African American Golf Digest. It's time to take our rightful place on the green boardroom that is the golf course. It's time to swing for success. I'm Val The Voice Johnson, and this is Interludes. Interludes a pure lighthouse production. This episode is brought to you by the Riddles Clean Comedy Virtual Show. Find out more on our website, linktr.ee forward slash pure light media. And now, all the way live from the south side of Chicago, give it up for your host, Val the Voice Johnson. One of the founding fathers or breakthrough brothers in the sport of professional golf was Theodore Ted Rhodes. Born in 1913, Rhodes is widely regarded as the first black golf professional. According to early reports, Rhodes worked as a caddy in Nashville as a teen. After serving in World War II, Rhodes moved to Chicago and met two African-American celebrities, the singer Billy Eckstein and the Brown Bomber, Joe Lewis. Rhodes taught both Eckstein and Lewis, then the boxing heavyweight champion of the world, how to swing for success on the golf course. For a time, Rhodes worked as the Brown Bomber's personal golf instructor. In 1948, while living in Southern California, Rhodes played in the U.S. Open and is recognized as the first black professional golfer. That same year, Solomon Hughes, an African-American who played in the United Golfers Association Tour, attempted to enter a PGA event in Minnesota. Hughes was denied entry. Also in 1948, a young kid from Charlotte who moved to Philadelphia shifts from being a caddy to playing the game. His name is Charlie Sifford. 
Despite the efforts of Rhodes and Hughes, the PGA, which exists today, would not allow non-whites to play at its events. Rhodes and another successful golfer, Bill Spiller, sued the PGA. The case was settled out of court. To get around their racism, the PGA adjusted its rules to set up invitation-only events at otherwise all-white country clubs. Guess which players didn't receive invitations? But Sifford persists. He tries to qualify for a PGA event using an invitation obtained by, you guessed it, the Brown Bomber himself, Joe Lewis. Game recognized game. According to the amazing resource that is the African American Golfer Digest, and I quote, throughout a long history of racial discrimination and segregation in the United States, African Americans have continued to struggle for equality in this nation of plenty. It was not until 1961 that the Professional Golfers Association, PGA, removed the Caucasian-only clause from its bylaws. This clause, which resolutely excluded African Americans from participating in PGA-sanctioned tournaments, shut out some of the best black golfers in our country from playing on that professional tour. Six years later, in 1967, Charlie Sifford became the first African-American on the PGA Tour to win a PGA event. Sifford shot a 64, seven under par, and earned $20,000 in prize money. In 1969, Sifford won the Los Angeles Open, and in 1975, Sifford won the PGA Seniors Championship. According to a well-known golfer who'd followed in the footsteps of Sifford, in terms of the sport, the golfing great was the grandpa I never had. He continued, I probably wouldn't be here. My dad would have never picked up the game. Who knows if the clause would exist or not, but he broke it down. That well-known golfer, Eldrick Tiger Woods. Woods named his son, Charlie, after Sifford. Game recognized game. Just as golf is not just a sport of white men only, golf is not a sport of men anymore. Sisters too have a history when it comes to the swinging for success on the golf course. Althea Gibson. She is the first African-American female professional tennis player and has had the benefit of paving the way for sports celebrities like Coco Golf, Madison Keys, Naomi Osaka, Venus Williams, and of course, Venus's little sister, Serena. The success of these ladies helps to keep the spotlight on Gibson just as the success of every black baseball player continually acknowledges the accomplishment of one Jackie Robinson. Along with tennis, Gibson also took up golf. You know Althea Gibson, but do you know Ann Moore Gregory? Born in 1912 in Aberdeen, Mississippi. 
According to an article posted by Golf.com, Gregory made her mark on golf in 1947 when she became the first black golfer, male or female, to play an 18-hole course in Gary, Indiana. This was her start, according to Gregory's daughter, Joanne Gregory Overstreet, of her mother breaking barriers. In 1956, Gregory was the first black woman to play in the U.S. Women's Open at age 44. By this time, she had already won the National Negro Association title twice. Though born in Mississippi, Gregory moved with her husband to Gary in the 1930s. According to Golf.com, she took up tennis while he pursued golf. Then Gregory took up golf. Here is what makes Gregory's story unique, even compared to Ted Rhodes or Charlie Sifford. When Gregory played as a part of the UGA, the organization that started in 1925 for African-American players, consider this. Those black golfers were black male golfers. Gregory competed against the men before other women learned to play too. And Gregory played golf with Althea Gibson. But why is it only one of these women's names is familiar to us? While Gregory played golf in the 1950s, when she was allowed to compete in the United States Golf Association Amateur Tour, she was denied the opportunity to eat with other players, the white women. In one shining moment, Gregory played in the ultimate foursome of the time. Joe Lewis, Jackie Robinson, Althea Gibson, and Ann Moore Gregory, well known at the time as the queen of Negro golf. That was then. Today, the story of African-Americans on and off the golf course can be best understood through the work of Jim Beatty, CEO of Jim Beatty Golf Ventures and the organizer of the second annual African-American Golf Expo and Forum. Here is our interludes interview with Mr. Beatty ahead of the upcoming expo scheduled for August 27th through the 31st in Charlotte, North Carolina. A person that has been at, at the forefront of putting the pretty much the focus on African-Americans in golf. Yes. Uh, he is currently the executive ex editor of the African-American Golfers Digest, and he's the chairman of the We Are Golf Recreational. And one thing, one of the things that you got that he has in common with all of us, he's a Chicago native. <laughs> and I like to say he's definitely helped to work represent uh, African-American golfers throughout the years. Guys, I want to go ahead and introduce you all to Mr. Jim Beatty. Mr. Jim, how are you? Hey, I'm fine. I'm fine. Thank you. Thank you for the intro. Hello to everybody. Hi. <laughs> and Coach and Michael, did you guys have any questions for Jim? Because right now you're working on a bunch of things uh, right now, right? I am for sure. Uh, certainly the magazine, which is online, AfricanAmericanGolfersDigest.com, the African American Golf Expo and Forum, which will be held uh, August 27th through the 31st in Charlotte, uh, four and a half days, and we're expecting several hundred people, uh, hopefully more, uh, to attend that. So uh, my days are busy and my nights are real busy. There you go. That's the uh, 
registration information uh, will be at the Embassy Suites in uh, Concord, which is right adjacent to uh, to Charlotte. So, yes, ma'am, I'm busy. Yeah, I, I like that. I'm going to make sure that uh, I get that. I got several buddies of mine in that Charlotte market. I'm not that far. I'm in Nashville, and uh, I'm down in Charlotte. Love to, to participate in that. And uh, I actually had an opportunity to uh, be on a forum with you actually about two or three years ago. Really? And it was, it was quite fascinating. Um, giving shouts out to Miss One, shouts to Ava Hart, the young lady from yeah. Detroit, Michigan. From and she's a female golfer. You know, she's playing in the Shipman tournament that that's going to be coming up. Right. And uh, for her to go to her situation and still to come out and be one of only the 12 young ladies to play in this event, the question I have from you is, has the PGA and the LPGA done enough at an earlier stage to attract uh, more female and male black golfers? I'm a uh, college basketball coach and national recruiter, and I do know that one of the most underused scholarships at a university right now is in golf and track and field. So wow. wondering from that perspective, how can we change that? Because the PGA, obviously, as Mike just mentioned, is still making a lot of money off none other than Tiger Woods. So how do we change that game and, and, and level the playing field? Uh, I think as of late, meaning, you know, for the last four or five years, uh, for sure, uh, the, the efforts have increased, Coach, quite a bit, uh, I think. Uh, they have uh, funded uh, programs to get more youth involved. Uh, certainly, they were a proponent of the first T program, um, and now they have started funding uh, what we call grassroots grants organizations, or making gra uh, grants to grassroots organizations, such as uh, Jackson Park Golf Association, okay, okay. Uh, to to assist these organizations in funding activities, especially during the summer, but in some cases year round. Um, we are constantly looking and and pushing golf from all sectors, developing a competitive golfer. And, and let's use Tiger Woods as an example. Uh, it wasn't necessarily the PGA that got him involved. It was his parents. Uh, and so I, I'm going to put a bit of the responsibility on the parents. Uh, it takes you you don't you don't turn 18 and start golfing you start golfing if you're going to be a professional most if you look at most of the professionals they start very very young six seven years old by the time they get on the pga tour these guys have played against each other on the junior tour same thing is true uh on the lpga and 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 really with the lpga you see a lot of uh, foreign golfers there there, the governments actually get involved in, I'll just call them training camps. If you think of like a U.S. Olympic training camp, that's what some of the other countries' governments get involved in. So there, there's ample room for PGA and LPGA to do more. But I, I would have to say they're doing a lot now. But there is more that parents will have to do if they want their kid to go uh, competitive, meaning competing in high school, uh, competing in college, you hit the nail on the head. There are many scholarships, and that's the best scholarship you can get is, is, is a golf scholarship, in Absolutely. my opinion. 
Yeah. And I'll reference yeah. to the sport. And I was a track and field scholarship oh. athlete. Okay. But believe me, had I picked up golf long before, I would have preferred to have have golf because you can play that you you can play that until you drop dead. Okay. You, <laughs> you can't hoop. You can't go out and hoop. You cannot. You can't run a football. So uh, it's limited. But with golf, you can play it your whole life. Mr. Beatty, uh, we're speaking to Jim Beatty, who's the president of Jim Beatty Golf Ventures. Uh, question I have for you is, get what what can we say, and what can we what ways can we entice parents, guardians, uncles, aunts to get their young people involved? Uh, what what can we do to help to lower whatever barrier it is at the entry level? Yeah, you, you pose a great question. Uh, and so I'm going to talk just from a Chicago perspective, but it's applicable across this country, is that the parents have to, or guardians, whatever the case might be, parents, grandparents, they've got to find a golf program. And I will guarantee you, in the Chicago area, there is no lack of what we would call junior golf programs, be it Jackson Park, be it ladies groups uh, the, uh, that, that play, uh, women's groups, I should say, uh, men's groups. There's all kinds of clubs and associations alone, just alone in the Chicago area mm -hmm. where they are providing clubs. See, in many cases, these organizations get clubs donated to them. They, cut them, they then cut them down so that the kids can use them. Right. So the financial barrier is not as steep as one would think uh they they are affiliated with the chicago park district generally or 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 a golf course that provides uh training time and their professionals so it's it's a matter of being intentional and being active to get it done i'm not trying to make it simple but i'm saying there are outlets out there regardless of income level that people can take advantage of right now there's 24, 25 million golfers, uh, recreational golfers in the United States. Uh, wow. Best estimate says 4% are black. Okay. Four? Wait, wait, 4%? Be best estimate says 4%. So about a million. Are, are, are wow, black. that's, an, that's incredible. And, 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 and you, Mr. Beatty, what, can, what do you guys do as a organization? I know like you're going down to Charlotte next month or at the end of this yeah. month. Right. Do you kind of look at different locations in different areas and say, hey, for, for example, I can tell you here in Nashville, they got a tremendous program uh, right down the street, not too far from the, uh, the historical Fisk University at HBCU. Mm -hmm. And they got a feeder program that worked for yep. them. And it's called the Junior Golf Pro Program. It's great. Yep. Uh, and a lot of kids get involved in Nancy Corsellini. I got my granddaughter. I took my daughter to it. And I'm an avid golfer myself, play very well, shoot in the mid-80s. So, you know, and when I look at that, I always go back and say, wow, I wish someone would have got me involved in golf. There you go. Early days because, as you said, I banged up my knees, hurt my knees, and my knees done. Yeah. But I'm still swinging a golf club, you know, and Amen. I love So when I look at that, you know, piggyback on what Mike said, when you got Jackson Park in Chicago, Central Park in New York, and, you know, out in Detroit, have these major cities like Los Angeles and Miami, Detroit, D.C., have they gotten involved in a bigger way to kind of push it? 
Yeah, in every city you just named, there are multiple organizations. Detroit's another good one uh, to to serve as an example. There is a group up there called Midnight Golf, started years ago by a black female. Uh, okay. It was a nonprofit to just get kids off the street at a young age, and she used her uh, her name is Renee Fluker. She uh, used golf as the tool. She's been around for many, many, many years. Her organization is a, is a multi-million dollar nonprofit, okay? Wow. We will be speaking in Charlotte, by the way, but she has produced uh, not only golfers, but she's got a lot of these kids on the right education track, teaching them discipline and what have you. So she has many college graduates. There are There's probably 500 to 1,000 groups out there in America that have junior programs it's not that hard to find anybody that's listening that if you have if you want to find one i would assist you we have a team of folks that will help you find a, a local organization to get your child involved in it and many times it's low cost or, or free it's very very important uh, you mentioned Fisk University. I don't know if you know it, but Fisk, uh, their junior program, in fact, their golf men and women's golf program is supported by a foundation based out of Chicago. The, yeah, they uh, got a big Chicago foundation. Uh, I'm usually on the road. And when I came back home, I, that was my other question, what part of the city are you from? But when we came back home and we did a program. I came out of Morgan Park. We did a program up there and I was shocked how many Fisk and Tennessee State University people in the Chicagoland area showed up for? Well, the uh, Ted Rhodes Foundation. Ted Rhodes, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. And Ted Rhodes is one of the best golfers. He, he, he had to actually sue the PGA uh, to get his, what we call his playing card. See, up until 1961, it was a Caucasian-only game. That was in the bylaws. Wow. And uh, Ted uh, and many others, Lee Elder included, uh played on what was called the united golfers association circuit and they eventually had to sue the pga to get that clause lifted mm. and and ted rose one of the best golfers not just black one of the best golfers ever his daughter and granddaughter Southsiders, and uh, wow. i actually serve on the ted rose foundation by the way i'm from the west side so whatever golf i learned was was uh, over in douglas park at garfield park columbus mm -hmm. park I guess. when i come back to chicago i go play at columbus park okay okay i stay in that jacksonville stony island i still and, it's, it's, i get over there too you know have have club will travel brother right now, Jim, this is important. Now, a lot of people think that a lot of business a business deals go down while golfing. Why is golf considered the best place to broker a deal for your business or franchise or whatever you have going on? Why is that considered golfing considered the place for business deals? The people that think it are absolutely correct. Golf is an $84 billion industry. What? That is as of two. You need to repeat, Jim. You need to repeat that. Repeat that again. <laughs> Golf is an eighty-four billion dollar industry as of two thousand and sixteen. My calculation puts it closer to a hundred billion dollars as of two thousand and twenty-two, going into twenty-three. So, with that said, as you mentioned in your intro, you know you're certainly looking 
for sponsors and, and sponsorship opportunities. Well, imagine this. You spend four hours with four to five hours with a person on the golf course, a person that that has the means, if you will. You get to know that person very well. It's, it's like the green boardroom. Think of it, the green grass <laughs> boardroom. Now I I'm borrowing that. that phrase from a good friend of mine, so I'd like to take credit for it. But I, you know, <laughs> I, I don't, I'd like to say I thought about. It. But it's the green grass boardroom. You spend three, four hours uh, with a person, whether you're playing nine holes or eighteen holes, you get to know them. And I can personally attest to the fact that I and many others have had introductions that led to deals as a result of golf, playing golf, being involved in golf. Of that $84 billion or $100 billion, less than 1% is African-American representation. Less than 1%. So on one hand, it's, it's, it's a tragedy. On the other hand, it's a tremendous opportunity. If we just get to 14%, which is our representation in, in the general population, look at what that does for business. 14% of, uh, uh, let me just say, $100 billion, that's $14 billion coming across in golf. So you spend time, you get to know the people, the barriers are broken. That's the number one rule in, rule in sales. People do business with who they know, with whom they know. And you get to know people very well on the golf course. You can walk right. up to any club right now, South Side, West Side, uh, Los Angeles, doesn't matter. Be, get get paired with someone, and I guarantee you, before you finish your nine holes or eighteen holes, you have be, you have made a lifelong friend. And so, and Jim. And so, Jim, that's why it's important for folks to know about the African American Golf Expo and Farm. Uh, Registration still open. Is that correct, Jim? All right, we we will be registering people down to. Uh, to the last minute absolutely we want people to come down this is four and a half days of, of what first of all coach we're having a free golf clinic at the okay. charlie slipper park uh golf course in charlotte in fact i had to cut it off when it hit 100 i mean you know there's just too many we had to cut it off i was talking with the folks today we at we're at we're at 85 but now we we're, we're over 100 other people have have cajoled me into doing that that's fine it's free, free. it's free <laughs> there's a golf scramble we have the president of the you mentioned tiger woods the we have the president of the tiger woods foundation gordon mcneil playing in our golf tournament awesome. okay we have seven ceos of major companies companies as large as a half a billion dollars coming down to be in this because they understand that if they want to develop their company that uh, in such a way that black people buy from them or and they want to expand their workforce with people of color then they have got to get out of their corner offices come on down be with us understand us and start making connections we have seven ceos coming down for that alone all right well we're, Jim, not, we're not messing around we're getting it done all As right and, and i see the takeaway that um that we came up with is that the golf course is the green boardroom amen according uh for on my behalf of myself coach tony and executive producer michael wamble we thank you so much jim for joining us on tonight let's give him a round of applause guys thank you. my pleasure thank you so oh much my gosh and thank you so we have that information thank you kevin it is in the chat for you
We'll talk to you soon, Jim. I hope so. I hope to see you on the golf course, Coach. Give me some strokes. So you gave it away that you got a low handicap. So yeah. I'm getting strokes I'll be in touch. I'll be in touch. Yeah, all right. I'll keep my money in my pocket, brother. <laughs> to register for the upcoming African American Golf Expo and Forum, please visit the website aagolfexpo.com. And to check out more of our full conversation between Jim Beattie, Coach Tony, Mr. Womble, and Val the Voice Johnson, please visit our Interludes YouTube channel. Have you seen it? It's the weekly chat with EP Michael Womble, Coach Tony, and Val the Voice Johnson. Interludes Extra presents Talk on Tuesdays. Join us and other special guests as we break down the latest topics surrounding music, movies, and sports every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Eastern, live in the chat on our Interludes YouTube channel. Interludes, original concept by Valerie Johnson. Written by Michael Womble. Produced by Michael Womble and Valerie Johnson. Original intro and outro music produced by Kendall Nesbitt. Interludes, a pure lighthouse production. This episode is brought to you by the Riddles Clean Comedy Virtual Show. Featuring hosts Jury O'Neill, Donald Owens Jr., Michael Womble, and Val The Voice Johnson. To purchase an on-demand ticket please visit our website, linktr.ee forward slash purelightmedia. To subscribe to our YouTube channel or join our Interludes Facebook group, visit the website, linktr.ee forward slash purelightmedia.com.